right to the lesson. And with Christmas coming up, I know one of the things that we like to receive as men are power tools. Yeah. Power tools. Men like power tools. And uh, so thankfully tonight, uh, God wants to remind us about some power tools that He wants to give us. And so we'll start off uh, first mentioning a verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. Matthew 11 and 12. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And the NIV says it a little bit differently. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Another way to say that would be powerful men. The kingdom of God is powerfully advancing, and powerful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And violence usually carries a negative connotation, uh, but the term violence, the word violence means highly excited action, impetuously, force, injury, done that which is entitled to respect, infringement, assault, a wild or turbulent state resulting in injuries and destruction. And studies prove that men are prone to violence. It's our nature to fight, to hunt, to conquer, and to win. That's why we keep score. But our society has tried to feminize us to the point where we don't even keep score anymore. A lot of uh, sports at younger ages primarily, uh, they still keep score mostly at the older ages. But at younger ages, they don't even keep score anymore. They just, everybody wins today. And they're taking the adventure out of it. And even in Christianity, we're sometimes felt like we have to scale back what we are as a man and be somehow more of a woman. And there's nothing wrong with women. Women are awesome, obviously. We need women. But the women don't need more women. <laughs> they need us to be men, right? To be what called, God has called us to be. And obviously there's the pressure on women we don't need to address because they're not here, but there's pressure on them sometimes to be more like a man, right? And so it goes both ways. But in, in trying to feminize the man we've made violence to be bad all the time but violence isn't always bad god doesn't put something in our nature that's always bad all the time it just has a context there's a time where men need to be violent we're prone to violence and there's bad violence but there's also good violence there's a time where we are to step into a place where we are violent. 
And in these instances, God has given us power tools. Because it's one thing to try to build a house with just your bare hands. But it's awful nice to have some power tools. <laughs> You're going to get done a lot faster. And it's just more fun. Both making a house and taking one down. <laughs> Both directions are fun. And you have the right power tools, it's really fun. So as we, before we get into discussing the four power tools that God has put in our disposal, there's obviously more, but we're just going dis- to discuss four tonight. I thought I would just ask, what is a power tool of choice for you guys, just anybody? A power tool of choice. Byron. Prayer. You're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead of me. That's a great answer. But I'm talking about actual power tools. Sawzall, right? And they have a, isn't a weapon called a sawzall? Or <laughs> I think there's a saw gun or something that, no, the, the like it's a machine gun in, in uh, modern warfare or something. You guys should, nobody's a gamer in here? Just called a saw. There we go. That's a pretty sweet gun. Just the saw. This cuts through everything. Yes, Byron. Yes. It's good to have a good drill, right? Screw gun, whatever you want to call it. Anybody else? Yeah, there's so many, right? Or some of you, you may not have much experience with power tools, but yours might be the power of a car or a truck. Right? Chainsaw. Yeah. Some of the more finer tools. Chainsaw, that's a power yeah that that's a good software really hmm uh, it shows you how much I know about tools <laughs> not very much obviously but I remember wood, being in woodshop and that was pretty awesome and obviously woodshop reminded me thankfully not from really personal experience but with great power comes great responsibility right You'll either learn that the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> What's that? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, but with with that comes great responsibility because you don't want any, just anyone wielding a power tool. You don't want just some guy who's a, being dumb about it. You want somebody who's using some some care. So it's not just a, a love or a or even a lust for power it's a it's a a person that God's going to empower is going to also desire it for the right reasons so we need to pray not only that we'll exercise these power tools but that God will help us have the right motive for using the power tools right cuz it's just like you can use a chainsaw Manny said for good or for evil and God wants to empower men who will use it for good and we'll use it for good as God changes our nature. Okay, let's get into the power tools. So number one, a power tool you probably don't think about too much is light. Light that is powered, right? You don't think about light too much when you think about power tools. But if you're working in the dark, it's pretty nice to have one, right? <laughs> if you don't if you don't have light, you're in trouble. And so um, lights are something we can take for granted. And I don't, 
know if you guys have experienced it too much, but uh, the apartments we used to live in and now Maurice lives in, the power would go out every once in a while. And I would inevitably walk through the house and still flip switches. Because when you walk into a room, you just automatically, it's habit. And you just take it for granted that that light's going to come on, even if it's off. And you know it's off, but you still flip it, expecting it to come on. And that's why I think it's a good parallel for relationships, because we can just get to the point where we're just taking our relationships for granted, especially if we're married or we have children. Uh, we can take it for granted. And, and Christmas is obviously a good time to reexamine how blessed we are with the families we have. We don't want to take them for granted. But we're able to shine our light for the Lord in great measure through our relationships. Uh, when we look at uh, the difference between men and women in holiness of lifestyle, a lot of women's holiness is reflected in the way they appear. Right? And that's one, one re- good reason is because men are visually drawn and so women need to be more modest. And the Bible talks about women appearing modestly and, and being holy that way. But it tells men we need to be careful how we act. Our actions in relationships are what reflect holiness in men. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So, again, those ladies, there's a lot devoted to their appearance in these verses, right? With men, it's that we... Pray everywhere, that's an action. We lift up holy hands, that's an action. Without wrath and doubting, that's how we're behaving ourselves. Because people are looking to us. Even, obviously, people in our families, but also, also people outside of our families, are looking to us how we are acting as men. And again, none of this, none of this minimizes ladies that... I, I can say that I'm, I'm, I don't need to say that probably but I'll say it to be careful none of this minimizes ladies but men need to do these things because the church is weaker if we don't so it's, a, it's with great responsibility that we exercise these things that we lift up holy hands that we pray without wrath and doubting so doubting is a big key right there because that's what I believe we struggle with. We all struggle with emotions too, keeping those in check, right? Wrath is uncontrolled emotion. Anger, it's okay to be angry, but sin not. Wrath is sinning in anger. So we have to control our emotions, but also we have to control our doubts. Because if we doubt, it puts doubt in those who look to us. They're looking to someone who will have faith. Our actions and our relationships are very, very important to our, our ability to exhibit holiness. It's easy to, to look at the ladies and say they're not being holy because of their whatever. But men, 
we don't judge each other sometimes uh, in the same manner because it's not just about the way we we appear it's about what we are doing what are our actions and again that's why nobody should out praise us in church no one should out pray us in church and then again volume isn't always the indicator but our heart is and it, our heart and our passion can be sensed by others so we need to we need to make sure that we are exhibiting ourselves and our relationships in a manner that is pleasing to God. First Peter one three seven. First Peter three seven, sorry. First Peter three seven says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, if if you're not married, it may not apply to you. But if you are married, how you treat your wife and how you bless your wife is a direct indication of how you are exhibiting your light. People notice how you treat your wife. We have to be careful that we treat our wives with honor. And try not to, one thing that a lot of people do is uh, in marriages they, or relationships, they disrespect each other in public or they don't love each other in public. And both of those things need to happen in public. We need to love, doesn't mean PDA like crazy, but we need to show some love and we need to show respect to our spouse. And obviously with our children, we need to love our children. We need to have good relationships with other people. How does our wife see our relationship with God? How does our, the rest of our family see the relationship with God? How do our friends see our relationship with God? The best gift that we have received is a full-length mirror that God gives us through our spouse, our kids, and our friends. Okay, Don't be so quick to dismiss what your spouse says. Because they might just be telling the truth (laughs) they might just be giving you an image you don't want to see but it's true same with your kids sometimes i gotta humble myself to my girls sometimes because they're right doesn't mean i condone them being disrespectful but i listen to what they say i don't dismiss it just because they're kids and definitely our friends we need to be open to what our friends say to us and examine if there's truth in it and if we need to change. Because if we, if we shove everyone away that will tell us things we don't want to hear, eventually we're only surrounded by people that don't care enough to say something or just agree with everything we do. And both of those are unhealthy. Okay, We need people in our life that will tell us like it is. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's one thing I'll move on to the next point here shortly but just quickly insert that's one thing I've been thinking about lately is that sometimes we think uh, because of I don't know if it's our society or what but we think like challenging each other is a bad thing like it's a negative thing any conversation that involves me challenging someone or someone challenging me it's like uh, this is a, a negative thing it's a bad thing when really it's just should be part of life you know, when I played sports, 
What did my coach do? He criticized and challenged me every practice. And I didn't take that as a bad thing. I took that as he was doing his job to make our team better. And I had teammates who would challenge me to do something better, or I would challenge them. And so it's not a bad thing to challenge each other. It doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me. It just means we're being Christian. We're being brothers. We're helping each other. All right, next power tool. Uh, words. And a few, several people mentioned saws. Words are the saw that cut through. And again, that can be good or it can be bad. We have to be careful how we use our words because uh, Scripture we know, Proverbs 18, 21, you've, I'm sure you've heard it quoted once or twice in your life. If not, just this one of Brother Maurice's favorite verses. And it's good that it is. I'm not saying that's a, any bad thing at all. That's a great thing. It's just It's one of his verses like mine with don't grow weary. This is Brother Maurice. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And not only is there that much power in the tongue, you know, to give life or to take life, that's power. You don't get any more power than the ability to give or take life, right? And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And not only is there death and life in the power of the tongue to affect others and ourselves, but uh, we eventually eat the fruit of what we say too. So what kind of fruit do you like to eat? Fresh or rotten? (laughs) I like fresh fruit. And this power is illustrated in the story of the 12 spies, Numbers 13. Numbers 13 and 30. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. See, Caleb's attitude was, Let's go now. We can possess the land. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants and we were in our own sight we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight ten people convinced three million people were just grasshoppers when the the testimony of the the people was actually Our hearts are melting with fear knowing these people are coming. The people that were actually inhabiting the land, Rahab said, they were melting with fear of the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were melting with fear because of them. It was about their own perception. And the words of the ten spies brought death to an entire generation. Because that generation, if you remember, just wandered around in the wilderness till they all died because of the negative words of ten spies a whole generation had to die in the wilderness without inhabiting the land 
And again, as men, I think it's so important. I'm not saying necessarily it's it's a salvation issue. Obviously, it can be. But some people that are even saved, they're forfeiting so much victory, not only for themselves, but for those they're leading, whether it's their family or friends or people they're mentoring. And I'm I'm feeling challenged here myself by limiting God. By thinking, well, look how big Beaverton is. Look how small we are. How are we going to reach people? Let's just, let's just somehow try to be saved ourselves. <laughs> that would be pretty good. They're, never going to, they're not going to hear the gospel anyways. Why, why even try? That's limiting God. I'm not saying everybody's going to accept the gospel. I'm not, I'm not being dumb about this. <laughs> Not everybody's going to respond. But there's no reason we shouldn't believe this church is going to be too small at some point. And it doesn't have to be 30 years from now. There's no reason to, th- to, to think that's unrealistic. But we have to make a choice to think that way. And that's why a few months ago, I announced my vision for the building by 217. Not because we need it right now. We're not even close to needing it. Not because I'm saying we're going to be there in six months. I'm not saying that. Whenever God opens it, whenever that time comes, it comes. I'm not worried about the time frame, but I want us to understand our thinking must be bigger. That building's too big for a a church that preaches truth. There's not going to be that many people accept it. If we say that, that's what's going to happen. Because we're as grasshoppers in our own sight and we're assuming we are for everyone else too. So let's not limit the progress of our family. Let's not limit the progress of people we're mentoring, like that we're discipling. Let's, let's have words that say, if God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, you know, I'm not taking it to the point where I just tell God, I, I, I speak by faith, I'm going to have a million dollars tomorrow. I speak it by faith, it's going to happen. I'm not being ridiculous. I'm just saying we can claim the word of God to do his will. We've got to speak more faith instead of doubt. More faith. If it, you feel the words coming out of your mouth, you hear it coming out, repent of it. Stop it. Apologize to whoever you told it to. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just not speaking faith. Is that making sense? Again, it doesn't mean we can't acknowledge reality. It doesn't mean we can't acknowledge that it's difficult because that's part of it is sitting down and saying, you know, uh, Ryan and I were having a good conversation earlier. Brother, I'm struggling here. Help me out. You know, I got to do that sometimes. And I hope you feel the liberty to do that. We're not going to act like everybody has to be perfect to be strong. No, being strong is facing the reality of the struggle. And saying, I'm having a hard time doing this. But help me pray that we can get through it. And God will help us through it. And working through it together. And speaking faith about it. We're going to get through this. It's hard, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's just changing that mentality that has been sown into our minds. 
from whatever source it came. I don't. I know where sometimes where my mine came from at different times, but I don't know about your life. But just people in my past who were always just, well, you just can't do more than this. You can't go beyond this. It's just not. It never has happened. It never will. Says who? I mean, you're saying it. But you can limit so much by your words. I mean, for for so long, people told people said the world was flat. Right? They believed the world was flat, and they could if they sailed too far, they'd fall off the flat earth. And that that held them back. Was the earth ever flat? No. It was always round. But because their mind, it was flat, their reality was it's flat. So I'm just asking us, we need to think about our words. What are we, what are we preaching to those who look to us for direction? Are we preaching that God's going to help us overcome and we're going to see amazing things and incredible things and God's going to do miracles in our life or... Are we speaking like, oh, it's always bad? Are we going to struggle sometimes? Yes. Are we going to have to repent? Yes. But think about it. Think about it. Okay? And again, if we are the leader of somebody in a situation, whether it's a family or a mentor, if we are supposed to be leading, if they're depressed, they're speaking negative. It doesn't get us to right to just start swimming in it with them. We're supposed to rise above it and help them out of it. And they'll return the favor, I'm sure, at other times. But we can't use people around us. Well, if they weren't being that way, I wouldn't be that way. We have to be rise above it. All right. move on to prayer one thought just came to my mind that I heard a quote in the past is you have to be a thermometer and not or you have to be a thermostat and not a thermometer if you're a leader a thermostat changes the temperature a thermometer just gauges what it is goes along with it so if, as leaders whatever environment we're in we have to be the thermostat we have to set the temperature Make sense? Okay. I'm trying to hurry a little bit. I'm kind of taking a little bit longer on these. I need to be done in just a few minutes. The next power tool is prayer. It's the drill that punches through. Sometimes if you've ever drilled, it takes a while sometimes, right? If the surface is a thick surface, it feels like forever until you get through. But eventually... Your job is to punch through with that drill. And Philippians 4, 6 is, again, a scripture we know well. But it says, be careful for nothing, Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer and supplication. Supplication has to do with asking. 
But it extends further. It's not just asking. It's in an apathetic manner or a casual manner. It means to, to ask with passion, persistence, and focus. Passion, persistence, and focus. Those three things should be a part of our prayers. Passion, persistence, and focus. We need to have all three. Because if we just have passion that's short-lived, we pray really hard for one day and nothing happens. So I'm not having another prayer meeting for three months. (laughs) I exerted myself in that prayer and nothing happened. So I'll try again in a few months. You need persistence with your passion. And if you have passion and persistence, but you have no focus in your prayers, you're just screaming and spitting and slobbering, and you're doing it every day, faithfully, but there's no focus, <laughs> that doesn't do what very much either. We've got to have passion, we've got to have persistence, we've got to have focus. And again, as men of God, not just uh, the leadership of the church, or not just the pastors of the church, or not just people with a position, but every single man in the church to have passion, persistence, and focus, that's where the kingdom of God advances. Taking our authority in the Spirit. Because again, God forbid we have more passion in something else than the kingdom of God. And not everybody's going to understand our passion. And, And sometimes I feel like I have to explain our passion. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But... I feel the need because so many places of worship are just, you come, you go through a calm, very collected time. I think, again, sorry, picking on Brother Ryan a little bit tonight as far as conversations we've had, but he went to a church, he told me, pretty good sized church, spirit filled church. After the sermon, everybody stands to pray. And they, Ryan and Sister Heidi started praying. Everybody looked at him weird, like the pastor's praying right now, not you. You know, just the pastor leads us in a prayer, and we just stand here and we agree. You don't pray, and that's how so many churches are. I mean, that's a spirit-filled church. That's not just a church we think of as a. A traditionally very calm church that's a spirit filled church where's the passion because as men if we don't have passion we get bored right it's, who wants to go to a basketball game where they walk up and down the floor every play they just Just every play, just walk around, pass the ball, shoot it if they want to. The defense, like, can you imagine football that way? <laughs> I mean, the guy goes up to hit the other guy, and he's like, he's like, this is a tackle. Someone just comes up and gives you a little backslide. Like, I'm tackling you right now. I'm tackling you. How long would you watch that game? 
You wouldn't watch that game very long. <laughs> if you did, <laughs> might need some other prayers. But <laughs> it's like that would be ridiculous. Or a boxing match. It's like love tap each other. Maybe the index finger wants to on the forehead. Floyd Mayweather, maybe, yes. But he, Mike Tyson, he don't fight like that. <laughs> he just takes people out. He doesn't talk during the fight because it doesn't, it doesn't intimidate anybody. So. But, I mean, can you imagine in the context of these other situations, if there's no passion, people are just like, they're not going to watch it. I mean, it's the passion that makes people drawn to it. It's the passion that makes it entertaining. And as the participant of it, beyond just a spectator, as a participant, it's the passion that drives them to excel, to try harder, to to be greater. It's the passion. And as men, again, church is supposed to be passionate. And if, if we need to change something, ask me. I'm open. But we need to have passion. Because if there's no passion, if there's, if there's other things in life where we're exercising all of our passion and it's not at church, then it's just going to be something we're suffering through, basically, instead of something we're thriving in. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to me. And, and that is uh, obviously something you probably get tired of me talking about, but the sports thing, because I played sports, and I still do, and it's like people get so passionate. I mean, we're out playing golf, of all things, and people will miss a shot and scream or throw their club or, you know, and that's passion. It's That passion is takes them to a place where they're not very smart because they're throwing $100 or more away breaking their club but but the fact is they have enough desire to excel that they will go to a place of reckless abandon because they care about it and that's a, that's where we have to get in our walk with God where we are praying with that kind of a passion. With a reckless abandon. It's not a show for everybody to see. It's not, we're not here entertaining people. It should, we should play with that passion by ourselves too. Not just at church. And there's obviously, again, there's, for balance, there's times we are quiet and we just listen to the voice of God. And there's times we just we weep in His presence. There's times where the tears flow and all that is appropriate but that's also a different form of passion right you can't you can't cry without your heart in it it's getting your heart in it being passionate about it and when we get that way with our relationship with god and in our our walk with god and our purpose in god our life changes and and it again in the american church we feel like sometimes if I'm not a certain title in the church, then I don't have as much purpose. But that's just not true. The American church has it wrong. 
Every man in the church has amazing purpose. We're all called to lead people in our lives. The church has been empowered by Christ's promise to pray in ways that stop what hell's councils are trying to advance. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. But it's about how we pray. I'm probably not going to get through this lesson. That's okay because I need to wrap up. But binding is not limited to our conception of something just being tied up. Because we think about binding and loosening in prayer, right? And we think about, I'm tying something up. That's binding. But it's beyond just tying something up. It's, it's also the concept of a binding contract. Holding a contractor to what the contract says. Because if a purchaser doesn't insist on what the contract says, they can be taken advantage of, right? You have terms of the, how this house is going to be built. You pay the contractor, you tell him to build it according to the blueprint, and he goes way off, and he puts pink flamingos in the house. I don't know, I'm just throwing something out there. He puts pink flamingos all over the house. It's not in the blueprint, but unless you hold him to it, He's fine with it. But it's our job to stand and say, this is not what we agreed to. This is not in the contract. And with the Bible, the enemy is held to certain things, but it's only if we stand up as men and hold him to it. Only if we bind him to the contract. The contract says you have no authority in my home. This home belongs to God. You aren't welcome here. You have no jurisdiction here. This is our house. Adios. Otherwise, we just... Mandel just keeps beating me up. I've been there. Walling in my own self-pity. Why does it keep happening? Well, I haven't taken authority. I need to stand up and take authority. When we first moved to the house we're in now and we started managing there, I don't know what kind of spirits were there, but man, for the first two or three months, things were rough. All kinds of just... And we were stressed out all the time. And finally, I remember we'd been there a couple months. You would think I would figure it out sooner. <laughs> but uh, a little thick-headed... One night, I'm, I got so frustrated with all this mess going on, constantly this being stress and strife and residents coming in and yelling at us and all this stuff going on. One night, I got so sick of it, I finally got passionate in prayer about it. And I went around the house and I took authority in our house and I cast out all the spirits that were there. And would you believe it got peaceful? Would you believe tenants quit acting that way? Because I finally prayed. I finally took authority. We have that kind of power, but just like a power tool in the natural, if we leave it in the garage and we go to the job site without it, what good is it going to do us? We can look at the wood and be mad that it's not being cut. 
and complain that it's not getting cut, we can drive to the house, grab the saw, come back and cut it. I know it sounds oversimplified, but I think that's just the way it is. Either we're doing it or we're not. Either we're taking the authority or we're not. And I have a friend on the East Coast and we, we just talked today. And, and after Apostolic Conference, they went home and they started praying the prayers and, and binding and loosing according to the Word of God. And stuff starts, you know, bad stuff happens and opposition happens, but they're basically going to walk into a building when the timing comes the pastor's already telling him he's trying to figure out a way to make him the pastor. This building that will seat over a thousand people, and they have, I think, 15 in their congregation. And the Lord led it all, and He, you know, the Lord orchestrated everything, but He went there and talked to the pastor, and the pastor now is trying to figure out how to transition him to be the pastor. And he's a guy about my age. He's been doing this church for about two and a half, three years. He's got about 40 people, nothing big, about like us. And God's orchestrating something where he's going to step into a pastorate of a church that will seat about 1,500 people. How does that happen? Because he's so blessed and lucky and fortunate and God favors him more than other people. No, he just started binding and loosening. He started taking authority. He started praying passionately, persistently, and focused. And he wasn't just spitting out things that didn't make sense. But he was praying the word of God, claiming the promises of God. And in Southern California, for it's a, it's a, just so happens to be the same exact fellowship that in Southern California, two other um, young men that started churches in the last few years have stepped in as pastors. The pastor said, I'm retiring and I've been looking for a pastor. God told me you're the one pastor us and we're they said well we're Pentecostal we talk about repentance being baptized in Jesus name fill the Holy Ghost that's fine okay so they have one service in the morning that's the traditional way for that church and then they have Pentecostal service in the afternoon and they get paid a good salary from the church They get paid way more than they would have been getting paid <laughs> in the other situation. Medical, benefits, all the whole nine yards. How does that happen? Through prayer. Through passion, persistence, and focus in prayer. By using the tools God's given us. And not, not getting discouraged and thinking that, well... I'm just not, it's not happening, so I'm going to take my tools and go home. <laughs> but how many houses do you drive by one day, there's a foundation. They come by the next day, it's finished. I've never seen it. They do churches in a day, sometimes. But that's because they have, you know, tons of people working around the clock. And that very focus is to get it done, but in our families and our pursuit of ministries and our dreams that God's given us down the road those things aren't going to come through one or two prayers they're going to come through passion persistence and focus
And praise God, they don't only come when we're perfect because it would never happen for me. <laughs> I've done messed it up too many times already. So it's not about our perfection, but it's just about us saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep claiming the promises of God even in spite of my own self. I'm going to keep claiming the promises of God. I'm going to passionately, persistently focus on God's promises, declare God's promises, what He says in His Word, and keep moving forward and trust Him to do the, the rest. And if we just do that, the promises will come to pass. For whosoever will. And I believe all of us here will do that. And I want to see more and more and more. Not for the sake of just having more, but for the sake that the kingdom of God is growing and people are being saved. So don't be discouraged if Rome's not built in a day. Or if your house is taking longer than you expected it to to, build, to be built. Just keep on laboring because it's being built. Amen. Let's stand. Sorry I went over a couple minutes, but believe it or not, I only got about halfway through the notes. So I did stop before I got done. But I, I want you guys to know I believe in you guys. And the stuff I say, I'm challenging myself just as hard as I'm challenging.